Hi and welcome to the latest episode of the SFA Oxford podcast. I'm joined by SFA's battery team of consulting analysts and we're going to be discussing the hot topics, the need to knows of the battery metals market. So I'm joined by Ralph Grimble who is Operations Director at SFA. I'm also joined by Tom Chandler who is Principal Lithium Supply Analyst, Dan Croft who is Nickel Market Analyst and also Adele Rulo who is our ESG and Critical Minerals Lead. So, Laksha, there's lots of talk about a slowdown in electric car sales. So I suppose, first of all, you can give us an indication as to whether that's true or not, and if so, where and why. Yeah, hi, Joel. It is true that, to an extent, sales growth, and let's be specific here, sales growth of electric vehicles has slowed. And while we're still waiting for the full year numbers to be finalised, the data to November suggests that EV sales have already surpassed the full year 2022 numbers. That's both for battery electric vehicles and for plug-in hybrids. So yes, it is true that sales growth has slowed, but sales themselves are up. And I guess the other thing to note is that battery demand is actually growing faster than electric vehicle sales now. So Lakshya, why is that the case? Because the average battery pack sizes for both purely electric vehicles and plug-in hybrids have both increased. This is primarily in China, which is the biggest market for electric vehicles today. So because of this increase in average battery pack sizes, the demand for the underlying commodities that we look at has increased more so than looking at the pure EV sales numbers would suggest. Thank you very much, Lakshya. So over to you, Tom. Tom is our principal lithium supply analyst. So Tom, with the lithium market in surplus and price correction in mind, is this 2018 all over again? Thanks, Joel. So this scenario is very different to 2018. So back then, there was far too much new supply that came on stream prematurely in Australia. A lot of this supply came online around the same sort of time and it was well ahead of the proliferation in BEV demand. The level of oversupply back then as a percentage of the market was significantly greater in 2018 compared to now, despite the high level of stocks we, we do have in China. So today, we're obviously far past the inflection point of the BEV demand growth. And despite negative reports, to the contrary, as Laksha said, we have had sustained and robust demand growth in 2023 and should do again in, in the future. So while some producers are currently cutting production and project investment, and obviously a lot of destocking needs to take place in China, the market doesn't necessarily need the scale of closures as it had in 2018. And so we shouldn't see the number of cuts and curtailments that we did back then and the number of new mines falling over. We are like to see some deferrals in, as I said, project investment, but producers and juniors are looking far further ahead and are much more confident in the longer term outlook and the demand trends for lithium. So we shouldn't see too many projects that are severely delayed by these pauses in investment, which should hopefully reduce the risk of any sudden tightness in the market in the medium term, which potentially might reduce the extreme price volatility that we've seen in recent years. Tom, you made mention of destocking there. Lakshya, just to bring it back to yourself, when can we expect China's inventory destocking to turn into restocking? 
And uh, do you think it'll be enough to lift the lithium price? It's an important question. We expect that seasonally, typically China's industry starts to shut down around this time in preparation for Chinese New Year. So we don't expect significant restocking before the 10th of Feb. But post that, typically, is when Chinese industrial purchasing begins. So in in kind of the middle of February is is the earliest we expect this destocking cycle to end and and revert to restocking. We've looked at inventory data and it does suggest that you know in terms of weeks of demand the inventory of NMC cells for example is down to 7 weeks. Now as you know in the news there's the logistical issues of rerouting around the Red Sea which are increasing the transit times of transporting material to and from China. And so it will be the individual producer strategies on how comfortable they are or how much of a buffer they want on the inventory. But we are seeing inventories dropping um, consistently over the last six months or so. So we do expect that to end soonish, but just not immediately. So over to our nickel market analyst now, Dan. Uh, low nickel prices are forcing mine closures. How long will the pain last and why is this happening? Yes, thanks, John. Um, so we see nickel prices averaging under $20,000 per tonne now uh, for the next few years, uh, given the quite sizable surplus the market is now in. Though we could be now nearing the bottom of this price cycle, so we do see a moderate amount of upside coming in the short to medium term. Mainly this is due to a glut of low-cost Chinese-backed supply in Indonesia coming online over the last 12 to 24 months, which has been depressing the nickel price by flooding the market with mainly class 2 metal rather than refined metal. And basically, high-cost producers in the Western Australia are now struggling to produce nickel at a profitable level. Australia is the, the key example here, as we've seen a few mine closures in the last month or so. And, that, and in Australia, they have particularly high labour and shipping costs to end users, which has, along with general inflation for their inputs, harmed their margins quite significantly in the last year. So with the threat of mine closures on the cards, would this help nickel prices recover? And when might this occur? We have seen some closures already uh, in Australia, but it's not unlikely that we'll see closures elsewhere in the world. We think that you know, perhaps the top 25% of battery-grade producers might be marginal right now. But really, the, what will make the biggest impact to prices would be good supply discipline coming out of Indonesia. If expansions are slowed or new build-ups are, are slowed there, then perhaps we could see the nickel price moving higher. But of course, if this reaction is non-existent or too slow, this could be another downside risk for the nickel price in the future. What do you mean by good supply discipline? When I refer to supply discipline, what I mean is the ability to restrict growth in supply in order to support the price. So it's allowing the price to influence decision making? Essentially. So rather than being a completely price agnostic, that you could expect a reaction uh, in supply to the lower prices. And this is what we're seeing outside of Indonesia at this point. However, the issue is that the growth in supply in the last few years has been from within Indonesia and has a very low cost base. So that new supply base is unlikely to be pressured by the nickel price at current levels to induce any closures. So the knock-on effect on that is 
to offset the, the, the growth in supply in Indonesia, we could expect to see quite a lot of closures in mines elsewhere in the world. And so, Ralph, what about supply discipline for cobalt then? Might we ever see over $50,000 per tonne cobalt prices again? That's a good question, and it will also depend on supply discipline in Indonesia. Cobalt's a byproduct of some of the nickel production there. That's been ramped up quite dramatically over the last couple of years, and it's now made Indonesia the second largest cobalt producer. But the largest producer by far is the DRC, which is around two-thirds of global cobalt supply. And production there has also been increased. This has also been investment by Chinese companies. And again, it's a low-cost producer. So supply discipline there, a response to the low price, again, it's, it's harder to see that happening within the DRC than elsewhere. So given that the low-cost producers may not reduce output, we could see a depressed cobalt price for a year or two at least until demand accelerates, EV demand keeps going up, and that then brings the market back into balance. Thanks, Ralph. So over to Adele, who is our ESG and critical minerals lead. So Adele, what are the primary risks that you see in the cobalt sector from an ESG perspective? That's a great question, Joel. And a really important one, especially given the trend in recent laws calling for greater due diligence throughout mineral supply chains. So these new regulations do create more avenues for activist NGOs to hold both mining companies and their downstream buyers to account. So there's greater scrutiny in how mines are managing their ESG risks. So if you look at cobalt's two biggest suppliers, for example, Indonesia and the DRC, The challenges of the cobalt sector in the DRC are very different to those in Indonesia, which is why it's so important to understand the country context as well as the mine and processing risks at the site level. With the DRC, you you have the higher risks of sourcing cobalt from artisanal mining operations that may have dangerous working conditions or may be employing children. So you are operating in a context of a country of high levels of poverty and the risks of exploitation which come with this. In Indonesia, we're looking at the country's reliance on coal power, which means that the scope three emissions of downstream buyers will be impacted. So if they are looking to decarbonize their mineral supply chains, this is going to be an important factor. Although there are funds such as the Just Energy Transition Partnership looking to support Indonesia's decarbonization efforts, these processes will take time. The overhaul of a country's energy power infrastructure is a long-term project. Secondly, I would add that there have have been several NGO reports on the social environmental risks such as water contamination due to surface runoff, as well as disagreements with local communities in terms of land rights which have amounted to rather violent riots. So mineral supply chains are coming under greater scrutiny, very much instigated by the greater call for mining operations to have higher standards of ESG, either through regulatory requirements or through a wider global awareness of of sustainable mining. This podcast episode is recorded in light of the recent release of SFA's Battery Metals Quarterly Report. 
This unique report analyzes recent events and trends in the lithium, nickel, and cobalt markets, giving insight into the supply and demand impacts of recent market events while providing short, medium-term metal price forecasts. Thank <laughs> you.